Welcome back, Essay Voices listeners. We're starting off today's show a little bit differently than we've done in the past because I need your help. I'm going to start first by saying Black Lives Matter. Wherever you're listening now, I'd like you to pause and audibly say with me, Black Lives Matter. I've been thinking a lot about how to use this platform to center and feature and honor Black voices in the student affairs profession. And so I'm going to ask for your help with a little bit of a call to action here. I had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Lorraine Acker and Demetrius Gary, who co-chair the Black and African American Knowledge Community for NASPA. And we're looking to feature voices and stories right now. One of the things that I've been looking at on social media in the last couple of days is the hashtag Black in the Ivory, which is centering stories and lived experiences and the harm that has happened to Black and African American professionals in higher education or in the ivory tower, which is why it's hashtag Black in the Ivory. I'm also reading a ton of information from friends of all identities who are working on how to better center allyship, what it truly means to be anti-racist, not just a performative activist on social media. And I've also seen the pain and quite frankly, the sometimes feelings of hopelessness and helplessness that have been on, on all social media channels lately and in our news and on our streets and surrounding the White House. So with that said, I'd like to feature your voices. If you identify as a Black or African-American professional in higher education and you have something you'd like to say to everyone who listens to this show, I'd really love to hear from you. Uh, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind recording a two to three minute voice memo on your phone and emailing it to savoices at naspa.org by next Friday, which is June 19th. I'm going to be putting together an episode, hopefully, that only features folks who want to share your stories. You don't have to include your name. You don't have to include your institution type. But if there's something you'd like to say to the student affairs professionals, that listen to the show, I'd really love to hear from you. Also, if you are a person who's been focused on the anti-racist work, not only in the last couple of weeks and months, but throughout your whole career, or if you're someone who's just figuring out what the anti-racist work looks like, I'd like to hear your thoughts as well. So if you identify as a non-Black person of color or you identify as a white professional who's working on this work for yourself, please also consider sending us a two to three minute voice memo responding to the prompt of what action steps you've been taking to support our Black and African American colleagues, and how are you confronting your own biases? But more importantly, what does this work look like for you in six months when the world is focused on a different crisis? The crisis of racism in America and systemic oppression in America has been omnipresent for the entirety of our nation's history. It comes to our consciousness at different times as a collective nation, but for Black and African American people living in America, it's always there. It is the undercurrent that influences many, if not all, life experiences. And I also want to acknowledge that I know that there are other people of color right there who, for whom that is the same experience. And we have to acknowledge that while racism affects our lives daily as well, right now, most of us are not worried about being murdered one in a thousand. So that might sound really hard to hear, but it's a really important message to hear. 
So again, I'm calling for your voices. If you're willing to share them, please have your voice memos emailed to us by June 19th, which is a week and a day from now. It's also Juneteenth. If Juneteenth is a new word for you, I really encourage you to go do some research on what that means. And hopefully we hear from folks who have really great things to offer the podcast, and we will make sure that those voices are featured in a really unique way as they come in. Thanks for listening to me intro this episode a little bit differently. We are now going to roll into the regularly featured and scheduled episode. Welcome to Student Affairs Voices from the Field, the podcast where we share your student affairs stories from fresh perspectives to seasoned experts. This is season two, Critical and Crisis Conversations, featuring a special COVID-19 and higher education miniseries. This podcast is brought to you by NASPA, and I'm Jill Creighton, your SA Voices from the Field host. Hey, SA Voices listeners. I am so glad to bring you a free resource today, not just in terms of this episode, but in terms of the resource that's talked about. We are featuring today Dr. Stephanie Smith-Bidai, who is the editor and author of NASPA's newest publication, Online and Engaged, Innovative Student Affairs Practices for Online Learners. When we originally recorded this episode, this resource had not yet been available at no cost for NASMA members, but I'm excited to let you know that this is now online and available as an ebook for your free download as long as you're a NASPA member. So please log on to the NASPA bookstore to check it out. Make sure you're logged into your NASPA account and it should be available again through June 30th, 2020. Dr. Badai is an associate professor of education at Newman University. She has over a decade of experience teaching fully online courses and has worked to incorporate the student experience and support services into the online ecosystem. She developed a fully online Master of Science program as well as an endorsement for online teaching. She's worked in various student affairs functional areas, including multicultural affairs, honors programming, housing and res life, and career services. Dr. Badai was the 2017 recipient of the International Society for Education Technology Excellence in Teacher Education Award. She's also a certified online course reviewer for Quality Matters and a certified voice thread educator. For the past four years, she served as the treasurer for the Pennsylvania Association for Educational Communications Technology and is a certified instructional technology specialist through the Pennsylvania Department of Education. Dr. Badai has published several articles and books surrounding engaging online learners and has presented as an invited speaker at the Learning and the Brain Conference and Blackboard Digital Leadership Symposium. Dr. Badai holds a PhD in learning technologies from Drexel University and a Master of Education in College Student Development from the University of Maryland College Park. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So glad to be here. We're going to be digging into your book, Online and Engaged, which is currently available on the NASPA bookstore and on Amazon. So for our listeners, especially for our NASPA members, uh, you can currently get an edition of an ebook as well if you're not interested in toting around what is a 400-page volume of really, really incredible information. Now, Stephanie, this is probably uh, one of the most timely publications that has come out and probably possibly unanticipatedly timely. Your book, Online and Engaged, runs the gamut of topics. So what gave you the passion to drive this project to fruition? I've been thinking about this topic since I started teaching online. And about 10 years ago, I taught my first online course at Drexel University. And I had previously completed my master's degree in college student development at the University of Maryland College Park. And when I started teaching online, I noticed that the 
we were there online, we were teaching, but there were no connections to the campus, to any type of services that I had learned about in my master's training and in my own work, working in student affairs. And I thought it's great that we have this flexibility for students to learn online, they're learning you know, we had people who were in the military, people who were in the West Coast and Drexel universities in the East Coast, but they're not really, they're not really connecting with the campus. They're not engaging in anything besides their schoolwork. So I had been thinking about that from the moment I started teaching online and even until now, that there has to be a way to still have this flexible online learning, but also integrate the student affairs component into it. I love your scholar practitioner lens, having both been in that administrator capacity and now as a full-time professor. What have you taken with you from your student affairs work that has helped you engage in the scholarship with online engagement? Well, definitely thinking about all of the student development theory that we've learned and how that connects to how students really do grow and develop through their whole college experience. Also, just thinking about how we need evidence-based practices to really know that things are working and that things are the way they're supposed to be. So when I'm designing the different online learning tools, when I'm designing experiences for students, I also think about how research has informed that, what we know and what we know works and what we still need to sort of discover. So I definitely appreciate having that scholar practitioner background because I do believe that research informs practice and the practices that I do are informed by the research that I've done and that other people have done. You've published quite a lot in this area and I think it's so incredible that your PhD is in learning technologies rather than some of our traditional higher ed routes. So what does learning technologies really encompass? It encompasses so much. Uh, there are so many different learning technologies. And even prior to, to me going into to student affairs, I was in special education. So I was working with assistive technology. And that was sort of like the, the first learning technology. Now learning technologies is gamification, looking at virtual reality and all types of things. I mean, learning technologies is just really any tool, device, or technique that you can use to enhance and support learning. So it's definitely that catch-all phrase and term it encompasses so much. So as you take that scholarly lens into this book, I also see that you've selected authors from all over the profession, both academic and practitioner. How did you go about finding your experts? We did a call to find experts. My publisher book previous to this on engaging online learners specifically through active and experimental learning strategies. But I knew that this world of online student affairs was really new or really emerging. You know, while I had been teaching online for 10 years, student affairs really has not been a big part of that. So I wanted to find out what other people were doing, not just my experiences teaching online at three different universities, but what are other people doing in other functional areas? And I thought the best way would be to bring in experts from all over. So we did an initial call and we got an amazing response. People were doing some great things. And from there, we selected what would be the chapter authors for this book. Some of the chapter titles that really caught my attention in our current environment are really the comparison of online and on-campus orientation. That is such a critical dialogue that is happening all over the nation right now. And also creating a sense of belonging through virtual student affairs supports. So thinking about those two in particular, what advice do you have for practitioners who are trying to figure all of this out right now? Sort of going back to why... 
I wanted this book to be created. We cannot forget about our online learners. They're there, they're learning online. And yes, the pedagogical structure is different, but they still need to be supported in the same ways that on-campus students need to be supported. So that chapter on online versus on-campus orientation really shows, and it, it was actually a re- is one of the research studies inside the book that going back to the evidence-based practices. And it really shows that you can design online orientation for online learners in a different way than you would on-campus students, but with the same results, with the same goals. And that sense of belonging, a lot of people, they feel isolated online or they, 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 they're they nervous to start an online program because they feel like they will be alone. So we have to make sure that we create a space for online learners to feel like that they're connected to the campus and that they belong. And that belonging component, I think, is so fascinating because in our traditional in-person modalities, so much of belonging is created from space. We're really good at building physical spaces for people to gather, uh, whether that be universal building design or dining facilities or, you know, even the way that we set up our uh, first-year student experiences. How are you seeing success transferring those experiences to virtual environments knowing that they're not going to be a one-to-one. Very intentional planning for it. So we know what works well on campus and really taking that and translating that to the online forum. And it it can be one-on-one too. It doesn't have to be not one-on-one. You can have one-on-one, small group, large. It can go beyond just a Zoom conversation. There's a chapter on global engagement and it really talks about this medallion program where students, they go through their whole college program in this online program and they do service learning. They do different things. They can, they collect medallions, they meet with each other, and it really creates a sense of community there. So there are just so many different ways that we do it. But the first step is to look at what's working on campus and seeing how those things can translate over in a different way that would be suitable to the online forum. Now, the book is divided into three sections. I think that they're really clear themes. Uh, so can you talk about how you got there for the listeners who haven't gotten to see the book yet? First section is preparing for the ever-changing landscape, student affairs in 21st century Second section is towards a paradigm shift in bringing student affairs practice into online. And then the third section is leveraging ubiquitous technologies, advancing the work of student affairs practitioners for online learning. So Stephanie, can you talk about how these themes emerged and what those sections mean to readers? Sure. So when I developed the outline of what I wanted to book that look like I developed these first. And this is the way I thought would be helpful to build online student affairs services. So first we need we need the foundation. So that's that that first section we and in in that in that section is student development theory, looking at which type of student development theory, such as like transition theory, would work best for online students, looking at online assessment. You know, how are you going to build an assessment plan to know that things are working, looking at the more, like I said, foundational and theoretical pieces. And then once we have that, then we can look at the functional areas. So that that section two is really looking at different functional areas. So mental health, career services, advising, the orientation student activities and student engagement. And then that last piece is the tools because we hear, I feel like we hear the same tools over and over again, Zoom, Facebook. So I wanted to have a section that really had, that had a robust and comprehensive body of tools that 
people that student affairs professionals could use to support students, but also that it was attached to a functional area as well. So it's not like this is just a tool and you can use it, but this is how I can use this tool to support students in a specific way. I think in the pandemic, we've heard a lot of dialogue and I've read a lot of op-eds about the online environment either being the great equalizer or the exact opposite in a lot of ways. So what do you make of the commentary that you're seeing right now about uh, how online environments are impacting students in different ways? It's really interesting because the world was not ready for this huge online learning right now all at the same time. You know, the book is was created very intentionally and it's it's a guide for intentionality to really structure the on-campus, I mean, the online forum. So right now it's a, we're in a pandemic, everybody's panicking and everything is in an emergency. So I'm really nervous that some people are looking at online learning and if it's not going the right way, internet, which I'm experiencing myself, is not as fast as it used to be. Like it's not, what we're experiencing right now is not what online learning is. It's emergency online learning. But it is an opportunity, though, to think about how we can structure it better for next time, how we can actually plan. I just, you know, I'm just nervous about some of the pieces that I see that people think that, oh, this is online and it's not the great equalizer. In fact, there are more disparity because people don't have access to Internet or whatever it is. So I think that we should all keep in mind that we are in a pandemic, we are panicking and we're in emergency time. And this really doesn't translate to what true online learning and online student engagement really could be with proper planning. I really appreciate you making that distinction between emergency online learning versus regular online learning, given the amount of intentionality that you're speaking to in terms of what we need to do to prepare and plan for students in this area. And I think that's a really great piece of advice for folks to keep in mind that, you know, whatever we're, wherever, whatever we're building right now is not necessarily uh, the work that can sustain us in the future for the long term, but it's certainly what we got and what we're working through right now. Right. And But it is exciting, though. I think it is exciting. I think it's opening up people's minds to think about what if and future opportunities. So I do, you know, there is some, some good to it, but uh, definitely thinking about that we are in an emergency situation and we don't want this to be the norm. This isn't the norm. This isn't normal for us. Um, but, but as we prepare for our new normal, we can plan it a little bit more intentionally. So given that this is not kind of the best modality for emergency prep all of a sudden, which nuggets or what would you like to see practitioners doing that they could take away from your book right now? Right now, I would say uh, start small. So start with a functional area that you work in and a little piece, maybe one signature program that you have and you've always had had and think about, okay, how can I include online learners in this and do program by program? On the other side, high level for VPSAs or deans of students, I would say make it a part of any type of strategic planning really thinking about what the student affairs look like for online learners and how can we build it into our strategic plan so that we know that it happens. So going both ways, but definitely for the practitioners on the ground, start small with one program and then our leaders thinking about it more globally and putting into the framework so that supports and resources can be buffered into it. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and would love to ask you a bit about the actual technical setup of, of, becoming a book editor. How did you go there? How did you get there? I have written or I was the co-author for 
three books prior to this book. And I really wanted to have an edited volume where I could, we could include the voices of so many different people, different institutional types, different uh, geographical areas. So I wrote a proposal. I wrote a proposal of what I wanted to do with those three different sections that you saw. And I submitted it to NASPA and we went back and forth for a few years, actually, we, you know, because online, think about online student affairs right now, people can think about it, but not in 2018, not in 2017. So, you know, just making a case for why it is important that we move in that way. And if I'm an emerging scholar or uh, maybe someone who's been postmasters for a while and haven't uh, exercised that academic writing muscle in a while, what advice would you give me for getting into the scholarly writing game? Just, just start writing. I think that people get writer's block really quickly. They have so many ideas in their head, but they don't really put it on paper. So I would say just start jotting it down and writing, which also helped me is having writing partners. I'm on a, I'm, I do research as well. So I'm on a research team and we have dedicated time where you know we meet and we write and you can write about anything you want. And I also did that when I was going through my PhD program, just having dedicated writing time and just getting your ideas out on paper. What areas of future exploratory research are you hoping to kind of generate from what you've been able to put in this volume? Uh, I would like to go deeper in looking at, I mean, we, we cover so much Title IX, mental health, everything. I feel like we cover so many things. I would like to just go deeper now on each topic. I also want to look at the preparation programs for student affairs. I know that, you know, when I went through the, the Merlin's uh, CSP program, it was it was amazing, but we really didn't talk about online learners, but that was 15 or 12, whatever, you know, years ago. So I would like to look at preparation for student affairs practitioners and looking at how programs are really preparing future student affairs practitioners to serve all students, including online learners. I think that that's a big gap right now, and we definitely need to address preparation. It's a big gap and also a very quickly growing population, and even our students who didn't sign up for online learning are all of a sudden online learners. So I'll be curious to see what the next academic year brings in terms of how we're able to get some systems uh, are developed and implemented and um, more curious to know how our students will respond and hopefully succeed in those scenarios. Yeah, me as well. And I, I, I know they can be successful and I, you know, success, they can be even more successful if they have support from people who feel prepared to support them. But I know they can be successful. So this is going to be a tough question, but if you were to boil uh, everything that you've learned and developed down to kind of one nugget of advice for practitioners in working in the online environment, what would that be? I would say take risks and don't be, you know, don't be afraid for something not to work. If you have an idea, just try it. I think that a lot of people are so nervous about failing and we really have to be risk takers. I think this, this whole online word is, world is about innovation. So just take a risk and just try it. And if it doesn't work, you can use that to think about how you can make it better the next time. Stephanie, is there anything else about the book or your research that you'd like to share? Um, just that the, the book is very, very uh, comprehensive in terms of different functional areas, different topics. I think that it's a great starting piece for any student affairs practitioner who is really 
thinking about ways to engage online learners. And I would encourage anyone to take a look at it. And just so many tools we have in every chapter, tips for getting started. So the question that you asked me, what can you do now? Every chapter has tips for getting started. Every chapter has potential challenges and practical solutions specific to that chapter, as well as different technology tools. So the technology tools aren't just in the last chapter. So you know, it's a great resource. I think that right now, particularly, it's nice to have a comprehensive volume to look at and to start. And I would say, just uh, go ahead and read it. I know that everyone will find something that um, is salient to them. It's time to take a quick break and toss it over to producer Chris to learn what's going on in the NASPA world. Thanks, Jill. Welcome back to the NASPA Nook. And today we're going to be talking about the NASPA Western Regional Conference. Well, that conference is coming up in November, and that might seem like a long time away, but the conference itself is ramping up and they are looking for great sessions. Between now and July 13th, you have an opportunity to be able to submit a session to be able to be considered for that Western Regional Conference. Between now and July 13th, you have the ability to be able to submit a session for consideration to be able to be a speaker at the Western Regional Conference, which is going to be in Anaheim, California, again, from November 10th through the 13th. The theme itself is Together Towards Tomorrow, And as they put it, the conference inspires us to interrogate the issues of our past and present as we imagine the possibilities of shaping a wonderful future. The conference committee definitely understands the importance of moving forward collectively in this journey. And because of that, they are looking to be able to have programs that follow that theme. Programs are going to be evaluated based on the conference theme, as well as the professional competency areas for student affairs educators. If you've never seen that before, you can find those on the NASPA website. And you can also know that they're going to be looking at sound program planning with clear expectations and outcomes grounded in research and practice, and which are engaging and adhere to program submission guidelines. So you definitely want to be able to consider this. People of all backgrounds and experience levels are encouraged to put something forward because what you're going to find is that being in front of a group, being in front of your colleagues, and whether it be for a general interest session, a research session, a poster session, or even an essay speaks session, you have an opportunity to share what you know. And people of all ages, all backgrounds can bring so much to so many. So I encourage all of you to take a chance and put something out there. Talk about things that you're doing at your own campus or things that you've been researching, be things that you think will help other individuals to be able to be better professionals. Every week, we're going to be sharing some amazing things that are happening within the association. So we are going to be able to try and keep you up to date on everything that's happening and allow for you to be able to get involved in different ways because the association is as strong as its members. And for all of us, we have to find our place within the association, whether it be 
getting involved with the knowledge community, giving back within one of the, the centers or the divisions of the association. And as you're doing that, it's important to be able to identify for yourself, where do you fit? Where do you want to give back? Each week, we're hoping that we will share some things that might encourage you, might allow for you to be able to get some ideas that will provide you with an opportunity to be able to say, hey, I see myself in that knowledge community. I see myself doing something like that. Or encourage you in other ways that allow for you to be able to think beyond what's available right now to offer other things to the association to bring your gifts, your talents to the association and to all of the members within the association. Because through doing that, all of us are stronger and the association is better. Tune in again next week as we find out more about what is happening in NASPA. All right, we are back and it is time for our lightning round. Are you ready, Stephanie? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) As we do here, you get 90 seconds to answer seven questions. Here we go. Number one, if you were a conference keynote speaker, what would your entrance music be? I'm already lost (laughs) a part of my (laughs) circle of life. Lion King? Yes, Circle of Life, Lion King. All right. Number two, what podcast have you spent the most time listening to in the last year? Your 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 other podcast, and I, I'm sorry to name. <laughs> I spent a lot of time listening to it to prepare for this. <laughs> Quick shout out to the ASCA Viewpoints podcast currently hosted by Alexandra Hughes. She's doing an amazing job. What did you want to be when you grew up when you were five years old? I wanted to be a nurse. And shout out to all of our frontline workers right now who are yeah. doing the amazing nursing work. Who is your favorite author, personal or professional? I'm really enjoying the work of Brittany Patnick right now. She talks about uh, spending your privilege. And what is your essential student affairs read? Oh, the student affairs handbook by Susan Comavez. Dr. Comavez did the foreword on, on the online and engaged books. Who is your most influential professional mentor? <laughs> Dr. Susan Comavez, who was also my um, professor at Merlin as well. So we worked together for a few years. Excellent. And finally, any shout outs you'd like to make personal or professional? Um, Just I would like to shout out all of the student affairs practitioners right now who are bringing their work into the online field, as well as my colleagues, my fellow faculty members who some have never taught online before and they are doing it. And finally, for the students who some of them did sign up for online work, but they have persevered and they're finishing right now. This is finals weeks for a lot of schools. So congratulations. And also to the class of 2020, I would like to say, I know that you're not having commencement in the same way, but congratulations to all you have accomplished, finishing your degree and you will go out in the world and be great. All right, Stephanie, you made it through the lightning round. Thank you. It was very tough. If our listeners would like to reach you after the show today, how can they do that? Anybody feel free to email me at B-U-D-H-A-I-S at Newman.edu. And I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Badai, B-U-D-H-A-I. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing your voice today. Thank you. 
This has been an episode of SA Voices from the Field, a podcast brought to you by NASPA. This show is made possible because of you, our listeners. You mean so much to us. If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at savoices at naspa.org or find me on Twitter at Jill Creighton. We welcome your feedback and your topic and guest suggestions. We'd love it if you'd take a moment to tell a colleague about the show and like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. This episode was produced and hosted by Dr. Jill Creighton. That's me. Produced, edited, and mixed by Dr. Chris Lewis. Guest coordination by Anna Schilter. Special thanks to Washington State University's Division of Student Affairs for your support as we create this project. Catch you next time.